1: Good morning. My name is Julianne, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Chorus Entertainment Q4 and Year-End 2020 Analyst and Investor Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. I'll now turn the call over to Mr. Doug Murphy, President and CEO of Course Entertainment. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, Julianne, and thank you, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Chorus Entertainment's fiscal 2020 fourth quarter and year-end earnings call. I'm Doug Murphy, and joining me this morning is John Gosling, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before I read the cautionary statement, I'd like to remind everyone that we have slides to accompany today's call. You can find them on our website at www.corusent.com under the Investor Relations section. Now let's move to the standard cautionary statement found on slide two. Today's discussion contains forward-looking statements that may include risks and uncertainties. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in our forward-looking statements are contained in the company's filing with the Canadian Securities Administrators on CDAR. I will now start on slide three. I know it's a busy morning, and we appreciate your time and attention today. Fiscal 2020, our 20th year as a public company, was a year like no other. We were off to a promising start with a strong first half. Then the pandemic arrived and turned the year on its head. I've described 2020 as the book of COVID. Most of you know the story so far. Chapter one, shock and awe with widespread cancellations of advertising campaigns. Indeed, unprecedented. In chapter two, stabilization. We saw those cancellations cease. Chapter three, a modest recovery. When advertisers returned to the air with retooled campaign messages that were conscious of the COVID pandemic. We now find ourselves in the fourth chapter, which I initially referred to as sequential improvement, but later renamed up and to the right. Our new up and to the right chapter is not just about advertising recovery. It also reflects our overall outlook for consolidated revenue. No matter what the chapter is, our resilient team has been there to serve the needs of our audiences and help our advertising clients navigate the challenging environment. Importantly, we have not lost strategic focus. We made great strides in 2020 as we position Chorus for future growth, further advancing our strategic priorities and achieving our financial objectives during this most unusual time. These steps diversify our revenue and deliver future financial flexibility. They include transforming how we sell television. We have been successful in advancing our advertising technology roadmap and as an industry have come together to adopt Common audience segments, a big step forward for Canada in the global advertising marketplace. Putting more content in more places as we pursue new and emerging digital platforms. Stack TV is a runaway hit now with almost 300,000 subscribers in less than 18 months since launch. International content licensing with our ever expanding slate of great content is fueling growth and revenue diversification maintaining financial strength with sufficient liquidity to navigate challenging times. We remain intensely focused on free cash flow, enabling us to pay down our bank debt to create financial flexibility, advance our strategic priorities, and fund our dividend. So, as we turn the corner on Fiscal 20, we have once again delivered strong results with consolidated revenues of just over $1.5 billion, consolidated segment profit of $506 million, resilient pre-cash flow of $296 million, and improved financial flexibility with bank repayments of $230 million this past year. It's a happy new fiscal year, of course, despite the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Let me briefly update you on our fall schedule launch. Over to slide four. The launch of our fall schedule on Global has been very unique this year, with premiere dates for new and returning shows staggered throughout the fall, and in some cases, into the winter season. Our premiere schedule looks fantastic with new series and returning hits like SWAT and the NCIS franchise starting next month. In the meantime, we have opportunistically acquired new shows at bargain prices to fill in the Global Primetime schedule where necessary. Recently acquired new hits such as I Can See Your Voice which have been airing in September and October, and other acquisitions like it, are delivering strong audiences and a great return on our investment. Moving to slide five. The schedule on our specialty channels is loaded with content from our output deals and unaffected by the COVID crisis with the same volume of premieres as last fall. Our strong lineup is delivering 15 of the top 20 shows this fall, including the number one show, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, airing on history. This once again demonstrates the strength of the chorus portfolio of specialty channels replete with exclusive, highly differentiated content that is in the can and ready to air. I will
3: now turn it over to John. Great, thanks Doug. Good morning everyone. I'll start on slide six. Our capital allocation policy has proven instrumental to maintaining a solid financial position in its current climate, while enabling us to make significant progress towards our deleveraging goals. Over the past two years, we have repaid $480 million of bank debt, including $230 million this past year, and that's highlighted by the $100 million in debt repayment that occurred in the fourth quarter. Our reported leverage decreased to 3.18 times net debt to segment profit at the end of the fourth quarter, and that's an improvement from 3.22 times at the end of Q3. A reminder that leverage in the current year reflects the impact of the adoption of IFRS 16 for lease accounting beginning of the fiscal year, which added approximately 21 basis points to the reported leverage at year end. We exited the fourth quarter with a cash balance of $46 million and had available approximately $300 million under our committed revolving credit facility, which matures in 2023, and all of that could have been drawn at year end. This provides us with sufficient liquidity to operate in these uncertain times. Our financial priorities remain unchanged. We are prudently conserving cash in this environment and increasing our financial flexibility over the longer term remains our focus. Eligibility requirements for the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy have once again been met in the fourth quarter. As a result, approximately $17.5 million of the estimated wage subsidy for the quarter has been recorded as a reduction of employee costs. With our improving results and the reduction of the base subsidy rate in future periods, we anticipate a material reduction in the wage subsidy moving forward into Q1. Free cash flow of $87 million and $296 million for the three months, and year-ended August 31st, 2020, respectively, was much stronger than anticipated. In the fourth quarter, pre-cash flow was negatively impacted by approximately $35 million from the repayment of HST-GST deferred from the third quarter, and that was partially offset by wage subsidy receipts of approximately $16 million. Both of these items are reflected in the net change in non-cash working capital balances in the statement of cash flows. For the full year, free cash flow benefited from $16 million in wage subsidy funding and also from a $17 million deferral in corporate income tax installments from Q3 into Q1 of fiscal 2021. I now provide a brief update on our Q4 and year-end results starting on slide 7. As Doug mentioned, signs of advertising recovery began to emerge in our fourth quarter as reflected in the Q4 results. Encouragingly, August delivered meaningful sequential advertising improvement over June and July both of which saw significantly better results than the third quarter. Of course, consolidated revenues were down 16% for the quarter and 10% for the year. At the same time, consolidated segment profit decreased 14% for the quarter and the year. We delivered a strong consolidated segment profit margin of 30% for the quarter and 33% for the year, and that's up from 29% in the prior year quarter and down slightly from 35% in the prior year. Net income attributable to shareholders for the quarter was $30 million or $0.15 cents per share basic compared to $23 million or $0.11 cents in the prior year quarter. Now, let's turn to our TV results in the fourth quarter and full year as detailed on slide eight. Overall, TV segment revenues decreased 13% in Q4 and 9% for the year. TV advertising revenue declines improved sequentially as the summer progressed and was down 25% in the quarter and 15% for the year. Encouragingly, as I mentioned, August was the best month we've seen since the arrival of COVID with continued progress into September. Contributing to this improvement were improved advertising demand, advanced advertising, which now represents 24% of total TV advertising revenue in the quarter, and strong double-digit year-over-year growth from new digital platforms as we make our premium content available in more places, and that increases the inventory available for sale. In fiscal 2021, our goal is to increase revenue from advanced advertising as a percent of TV advertising revenue, as well as advertising revenue from new platforms. We are currently in the process of finalizing a reporting framework for these goals, which will be unveiled next quarter. Subscriber revenues were down 1% in both the quarter and year, benefiting from growth driven by increased activity subscribers, offset by the impact of channel closures and retroactive adjustments related to distribution agreement renewals in the fourth quarter. Adjusting for the impact of the TLN disposal in March of the prior year, full year subscriber revenues were up slightly on a pro forma basis. Merchandising distribution and other revenue increased 15% in Q4 and for the year due to increased demand for our original content from foreign broadcasters and distributors. We are benefiting from this revenue diversification as we continue to build our content offerings. Our preliminary outlook for the first quarter indicates that TV advertising revenue and total TV segment revenue are expected to continue to recover particularly given our September results. With six weeks remaining in the quarter, we are very mindful of the fact that there can be variability in this estimate, both positive and negative. We will lap the COVID impact in the third quarter of the current year, which is when we anticipate to return to year-over-year advertising growth. Total TV expenses in, sorry, total expenses in TV were down 15% in the quarter and 7% for the year. Direct cost of sales in Q4 decreased 11%, and that was driven mainly by lower programming costs and a reduction in revenue-based costs. Gene expenses were down 20% in the quarter, benefiting from the elimination of discretionary spending, relief on Part 1 CRTC fees, the implementation of IRF 16, lower revenue-based costs, and the estimated wage subsidy of $14 million in TV. Looking forward, in Q1 we expect to benefit from lower programming costs, the continued elimination of discretionary spending, and the reduced contribution from the wage subsidy. TV segment profit was down 9% in the fourth quarter and 11% for the year. TV segment profit margins were 33% and 36%, respectively, for the quarter and year, and that's compared to 32% and 37%, respectively, in the prior year. Now, let's turn to our radio results, as outlined on slide nine. Radio segment revenues decreased 43% in Q4 and 28% for the year. The fourth quarter result represented an improvement from the third quarter, and that was driven mainly by the gradual reopening of local businesses across Canada. On the ratings front, we announced in September that Toronto's Q107 and Vancouver's Rock 101 were number one in the rankings for adults, with the resurgence of the rock format supporting these notable gains. We are particularly excited that Toronto's Q107 has received top billing for the first time in 15 years. Radio segment profit decreased $5.7 million in the quarter and $18.6 million for the year. Our radio segment profit margin of 6% for the quarter and 16% for the year was declined from 20% and 24% respectively in the prior year, and that's mainly attributable to the advertising revenue challenges in the local markets. I'll now wrap up with a few comments on our financial focus for the new fiscal year. Our plan provides a solid foundation for our goal to move up and to the right in all three of our revenue streams. In fiscal 2021, we will continue to operate with financial discipline, pursuing operational efficiencies. Tightly managing our costs, investing in growth initiatives, and improving our balance sheet through an intense focus on cash, liquidity, and paying down our debt. We remain fully committed to returning value to our shareholders as we position ourselves for the future. And With that, I'll turn it back to Doug.
2: Thank you, John. I'm now on slide 10. I'd like to take a moment and look beyond Fiscal 20 and Fiscal 21. CHORUS has a rigorous strategic planning discipline and calendar, the highlight of which occurs every winter with our board, where we map out a three-year strategic plan grounded in a robust financial model. We maintained this discipline in 2020, despite the year's challenges, not losing a step in terms of our long-range planning. We are confident that this plan will deliver consolidated revenue growth year over year. Our plan consists of five strategic priorities. And I'd like to take a moment to bring these to life for you. Create a great place to work. We acquired Shaw Media in 2016 and launched our revised course values one year later to support the creation of a high-performance culture. People and culture bring ideas to life and will drive our long-term success. This is our foundation, and it's integrated into our strategic thinking. We aspire to build an even stronger and more inclusive culture that attracts and retains talented people, supports local communities, and creates opportunities for innovation and growth. Build a content powerhouse. Great content is truly at the heart of our success. We aspire to acquire and create more of it. This means deepening strategic studio partnerships as we work to create two-way content relationships, both inbound and outbound. We will continue to secure long-term access to multi-platform rights, such as the acquisition of exclusive rights to NBCU's Peacock Originals. As a content creator, through Nelvana and Chorus Studios, we are already benefiting from the insatiable global demand for premium video content. By creating content that delights our audiences on our networks in Canada, we set ourselves up for success with international licensing sales where countless opportunities abound. Connect with audiences. Our audiences are in control of when, where, and how they want to consume content, and we need to be where they are. We have seen impressive subscriber gains since launching Stack TV just over one year ago. And are successfully reaching new audiences outside of the traditional cable bundle. This business has become incredibly valuable, almost overnight, it seems, and we are intensely intensely focused on accelerating its already impressive growth trajectory. In support of our authenticated subscribers, we continue to improve our value proposition by adding more value for subscribers with our Global TV app. Its recent launch on Apple TV. Adds to the current roster of iOS, Android, Chromecast, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku streaming devices as we work to make it even more accessible to those inside the bundle. Our focus on these and other ad-supported digital initiatives and platforms will serve the changing needs of audiences and accelerate our revenue growth in the years to come. Help brands grow. Advertising will always play a critical role in media. Audiences willingly watch commercials to subsidize the cost of premium video content. It's a time-honored, virtuous cycle. At Chorus, we are transforming how television is sold. Our portfolio of innovative, client-centric solutions is continually adapting to meet the needs of our advertisers. Importantly, Canada's largest broadcasters this year announced the adoption of common audience segments, breaking new ground globally in the TV advertising industry. We believe that this common audience segment standard will catalyze the reallocation of ad dollars from digital back to television, something I'll remind you we experienced in the pre-pandemic era with TV advertising growth of 7% in 2019. This year's big news is the long-awaited scaling of cinch allowing our advertisers to buy these same audience segments through an automated self-service platform. We are confident that these solutions will transform how TV is sold and increase its value through better targeting and ease of use, challenging what is offered by our digital competitors. Operate with discipline. Every single day we bring rigor and financial discipline to our decision-making as we allocate capital within the business. Investments in technology, for example, are foundational to spur revenue growth and improve productivity. You've heard me describe how we have changed the menu at course, now offering audience segment selling as opposed to the traditional adult 25 to 54 demo. The next stage of this technological transformation and staying with my restaurant metaphor is rebuilding the kitchen. This remodel will establish a significant competitive advantage for chorus in the years to come. Lastly, we have a demonstrable track record of expense control discipline, and emerging learnings from this pandemic will benefit our cost structure as the quarters unfold in the years ahead. Over to slide 11, this three-year plan will return us to consolidated revenue growth year over year over year. We will deliver advertising revenue growth by further expanding audience segment selling, scaling Cinch, our automated buying platform, rolling out additional advanced advertising solutions and expanding our presence across digital platforms. We will achieve growth in subscriber revenue as we more than offset gradual declines in the legacy channel bundle business with accelerating growth in new platforms such as Stack TV, once again, now in almost 300,000 paying homes in just over a year. We will deliver double-digit growth in our content business. Our ambition is to create and accelerate sales from our slate of owned content at Nelvana and Chorus Studios. For example, we announced yesterday, plans to partner with Duncan Studio, an award-winning independent animation studio in Los Angeles, to develop animated feature films for the global content marketplace. We will remain intensely focused and disciplined as to how we manage and deliver strong cash flow to reduce bank debt, fund dividends, and provide the necessary financial flexibility to pursue these strategic priorities. Moving to slide 12. Our team is doing good work positioning our company to be a stronger purpose-led organization which is epitomized by our commitment to shared value creation for all of our stakeholders. We recognize the importance of enhancing our performance as a responsible corporate citizen and as an essential service in Canada. Our intense focus on minimizing our impact on the environment, giving back to our communities, delivering strong governance, and embracing diversity and inclusion is central to the philosophy at Corus, creating a great place to work for our team is part of our future, and it is how we will further build our competitive advantage in the years to come. I've never been as excited and confident in our plan as I am now. Our team is aligned. The disruptions in our industry present some challenges, but also many more opportunities. We have momentum. Some of it has been accelerated during the COVID crisis. Some of it pre-existed this most unusual pandemic. We have a great plan, fully embraced by our leaders, and we are confident that we will return to consolidated revenue growth year over year over year. I want to close by thanking our dedicated and talented team, many of them who are on the call today, for all their effort, commitment, and creative excellence, as well as all of our stakeholders and partners, and you on the call, for your collaborative support. Back to you, operator.
1: Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question please press star followed by the number one your first question comes from adam shine from national bank financial please go ahead your line is open
4: uh thanks a lot good morning maybe one for you uh doug and then one for you john um so maybe just talking about the fall lineup which you have previously expressed is is really quite strong you're very enthusiastic about it we also obviously as you alluded to have a bit of a staggered start to the new season because of uh you know, the COVID impact on uh, production activity, particularly stateside. Um, So can you maybe elaborate a little bit more in regards to, you know, how the early trend in Q1 has evolved? Uh, You didn't touch at all on the fact that sports arrived back on the scene towards the end of your Q4, but you know, it didn't seem like your August was necessarily too significantly impacted. But nevertheless, sports did get uh, a significant amount of uptick in in advertising, you know, post, let's call it July. Um, so maybe just a little bit more colour on the early pacing in Q1. Um, and then one for you, uh, John, you know, just in terms of some of the retro charges. Um, I think uh, one was a negative versus a, a positive. Um, you know, what the, were the magnitudes of, of each of uh, those? And maybe sorry, just going back to you, Doug, um, not just on the revenue front, but also speaking to how margins might be able to play out uh, just given the fact that uh, you might not necessarily be expensing uh, such expensive programming out of the gates in the Q1. Thanks.
2: Great, Adam, and uh, I hope you're you're safe and well. Um, in the in the first quarter, uh, you know we chose my chapter four up and to the right uh, purposefully. We are seeing sequential improvement month to month now in the recovery of advertising when compar- compared to prior year's quarter and prior year's months. There is uh, you know a, a strong demand in the advertising marketplace. and uh, you know we're continuing to see you know, and we've discussed this before, you know, media mix models evolving, and money's coming to television. So, you know, there is the need for the wide reach, reach and frequency of television for advertisers to reach audiences, and as we know, audiences are at home more often than they've been in the past. So so the the, the demand is there. In terms of uh, audience delivery from programming, uh, as noted, um, where we did uh, have some holes in our schedule uh, because of you know, production shutdowns or delays in the U.S., which does bring with it a commensurate programming cost savings. Um, We've been very sharp in terms of acquiring at bargain prices uh, other simulcast shows that were heretofore unsold, and they're delivering great audiences at a much lower cost. So the net benefit is an improved ROI on on the schedule thus far in the fall. So it's kind of a win-win in that regard. Um, I'll pass it to John to take the second question.
3: Hi Adam, good morning. Um, hey. On the retro item, there's um, in the current Q4, it's under a million dollars, but it was negative, which is a bit unusual. Usually, it goes the other way. Uh, and in the prior year, it was it was uh, just under three million. So year over year, the change is three million, uh, but the impact, you know, just alone in Q4 was relatively small.
4: Okay, great. Thanks for that. I'll queue up again. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Adam.
1: Our next question comes from Vince Valentini from TD Securities. Please go ahead, your line is open.
5: Um, Yeah, thanks very much. I want to make sure I'm hearing you correct, Doug. TV advertising revenue is up on a year over year basis in the month of September, or it's just up versus August?
2: The sequential improvement, month to month to month, is improving when compared to last year. We're still down. We're going to be down in the first half of the year. As we said, we'll recover in the second half uh, of the year. But the, the, each month is getting better relative to the prior year. So the declines okay. are less.
5: That's what I thought. I, yeah. I thought I misheard you. The last, the last answer. The, can you can you put any more numbers around that? If you're down 25% for all of Q4, does that mean August was down less than 20, and September's down 15 or less? Yeah. Can you? You yeah, give that's any that's part sort of in the, a
2: zone. I mean, you, you you could draw a line, you know, right to April one, where you're you flat your year, over year uh, and it's relatively straight line, you know, recovery in that regard. That's what we're kind of seeing. Interestingly, the revenue team, uh, shout out to my revenue team. They they had their revenue models, you know, four months ago predicted this this in terms of our uh, you know Cracker Jack audience delivery estimates and stuff. So it's been basically hitting the mark every month.
5: So uh, yeah, so that, that, that's a fair
2: characterization, Vince. Okay. And
5: with um, all these moving pieces, probably more for John on the on the free cash flow in, in the last few months with the wage subsidies and tax deferrals and maybe not spending as much on programming as you as you would normally have, especially on the Canadian side. Are you able to think through full year um, 2021 at this point? I, I assume you had to something to your board uh, in terms of a budget. Is is it remotely possible that you can keep free cash flow close to where it was in in 2020, or is it just a bunch of timing issues? And you know, you could see a, a, a significant snap down in in
3: 2021. No, it's it's a good point, Vince. So let me just walk you through what impacted 2020 first, because I think that informs the 2021. Uh, conversation. So, yes, there was the benefit of the wage subsidy in the full year of 2020. That was $16 million. There was the benefit of the tax installment deferral, corporate tax installment deferral. That was $17 million. So, the impact of that one is basically double uh, in 2021 as it reverses because we paid that amount in September, and then you know we assume a full installment base for all of 2021. So, think of that as flipping around $35 million on us in 2021. Uh, And I think it's, you know, fair to say, given how significant the beat was in Q4, we've pulled forward some cash flow from 2021. Just, you know, our our collections were strong and, you know, we just had a very, very good end of Q4. So I think that's going to weigh a little bit on 2021. But, you know, the main items are really, in terms of the swings, will be those two items. And then, you know, as Doug just mentioned, as the business recovers in the back half, that's going to create a little bit of working capital investment. So if we get to... You know, significant year-over-year TV advertising revenue growth. That's going to put up some more receivables as we get to the end of the year. So those are kind of the three big pieces that we look at. You know, is it possible to get back to where we've been? I, I think that's unlikely in 2021, but I think beyond that, yeah, it's possible. Um, you know, certainly given the, the step down we saw in the back half and what that did to our segment profit, that's that's going to be the driver ultimately of the free cash flow. So uh, we're, we're going to take a little bit of a of a pause, probably in 2021. But there's, as you said, there's so many timing issues that you know it it could definitely um, you know go in our favor as well. And we we don't know what more is to come. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of questions, Mark, as we said at the beginning of our fiscal. So that that's our plan. We're gonna, I guess, the main message is we're gonna manage it very very carefully and and watch um, how the cash is flowing. You know, with uh, like a hawk, like we have been. And. and-
5: All that packaged together, is there any commentary on on the dividend? It seems very small as a percentage of the free cash flow you did in in 2020, but as you say, there's moving pieces. Um, I assume a dividend increase is is not in the near-term cards, but keeping it at 24 cents, can you give us any comfort there?
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, we've, we've changed the cycle of how the dividends get declared just, you know, given that we were so far ahead um, between declaration and payments, so I think we continue with that for the next little while, at least until we can see, you know, ourselves coming out of, um, out of the impact of COVID. But, you know, you're right. The, the payout ratio is quite low as a percentage of free cash flow, and the, the, um, the dividend yield is quite strong. So we're not looking at any increases at this point.
5: And last one, I'll throw out, Doug. Um, the regulatory filings. Uh, I mean, it was kind of gave a little bit of uh, commentary in the the throne speech, but I, certainly my expectation, I think others, is that the heritage minister had promised something a little more concrete in the fall, and in terms of uh, recommendations to the CRTC or or even some new legislation being drafted for a modernized Broadcasting Act. Have you heard any updates on that? Is the you know second wave of the pandemic and you know potential other fires? Uh, Uh, politically going on, uh, maybe another election at some point, does that all mean that this stuff's on the back burner for another several months, or do you you and your team hope that we'll see something concrete uh, before year end?
2: Yeah, uh, um, uh, we are relatively confident that we'll see something before the end of this calendar year. Uh, I've been in conversations with Heritage as recently as two days ago on this file. Um, There is a drafted legislation now that's Complete. I think the government is trying to figure out when to bring it to the floor. Um, you've heard the minister signal uh, a relatively broad mechanism to have the uh, web giants, as they call it, as you know, I call it foreign-owned internet media broadcasters, <laughs> um, to contribute both to the tax uh, uh, regime but also to the Canadian programming expenditure regime. That is. Uh, not something that anybody believes will be contested by the minority opposition parties. In fact, on the stump speeches in the election a year ago, they were all in support of that. I think we have to – well, I understand um, that, you know, there's obviously a lot of stakeholders um, domestically in Canada that would like to see nothing changed. Um, But but the Heritage Ministry realizes that the traditional broadcasters – must be provided with more flexibility <clears throat> and more incentives. Um, so I think we gotta read through what comes to the floor. Uh, there'll be further direction from Heritage Ministry to the CRTC uh, down the road, which will be more specific. So um, I think that's just a note I would caution all of us to. This is a process, but it's completely clear to me from discussions with both Heritage and Industry that um, there is alignment around Changing the conversation and allowing domestic broadcasters to be more market driven um, and to aspire to own more content and to have more flexibility in how we deploy capital. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm still uh, cautiously optimistic, Vince, that uh, it's going to break in our favor and we'll have to see. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I just realized, Adam, on your call, I did not address the sports issue, so let me do that. I wasn't meaning to duck it. I just, just uh, forgot it. The, you know, the reality of it is that um, we continue to have seen a meaningful uh, gain in share relative to our competitor broadcasters. Uh, that is the casual sports viewer has come to Chorus Networks and stayed. I mentioned in my prepared remarks that uh, our portfolio strategically differs materially from the other broadcasters in Canada in that we have very strong, highly differentiated, powerful brands of specialty networks, food, HG, history, uh, that have deep content supplies of new content shot and in the can pre-COVID. And so we have the ability to, to, to deliver audiences to match demand on our specialties. And so what's happened during the hiatus of sports was that we have a lot of those casual viewers and they're, they're defined as viewers that watch sports about 20% of the time, have come over to us. Now, you know, they all went back to the NHL during the uh, playoffs and sadly for all of us, Canadian teams once again did not go deep um, and I always have sort of a, sort of a, a, a challenged uh, sporting fan uh, relationship with my, our business here those folks have come back to our network. So, you know, the World Series is coming up. You know, there'll be a bit of a, all the hardcore fans are back on that. But on balance, uh, I would say two things. Firstly, we have experience to share again, and I expect that to stay. Um, And secondly, I still remain of the view that sports will be challenged during the COVID pandemic in general. Um, And I think that a lot of the volume of content, if you would, that would be um, on the air as a competitive, uh, uh, you know, viewing, uh, you know, sort of opportunity for others will not occur because of obvious health reasons. You've seen it in NFL already. So, so I think I still like our shape relative to uh, the sports broadcasters. And as you know, I've said many times, our sports are women and family, and we bring those in droves. Back to you, Operator.
1: Your next question comes from Aravinda Galapathij from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
6: Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, a couple from me. One, uh, John, maybe I could just sort of uh, uh, get you to drill down a little bit more on the programming cost side of things. Uh, programming at more, I think according to the md was down 10% in, uh, in Q4. When you think of some of the dynamics that you've discussed in the past, U.S. and, and Canada, and how that plays out, uh, you know, in reaction to the current pandemic, should we expect that decline rate to maybe accelerate a little bit in Q1 or Q2 before normalizing? Or maybe uh, I was wondering if you can kind of build on some of those uh, specific dynamics a little bit. And uh, secondly, big picture question for Doug. Um, I know that, um, you know, there is, uh, you know, particularly during this, the current period, there's been a lot of focus on connected TV and, and sort of the up, up, uplift in audiences there and advertisers starting to sort of respond to that, particularly with uh, more and more of the uh, premium content shifting to AVOD. Uh, I was wondering how you're seeing sort of the advertiser reaction there. Are you concerned that you're gonna to start to see a little bit more movement from linear there and sort of take a second hit from digital? Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thank you.
3: Hi, Okay, I'll, I'll answer the programming question. Um, so, for sure, you know, Q4 was unusual. I'd say that the savings year are were primarily on the Canadian side, just given the production shutdown. Uh, not so much on the foreign side. I think that there will be uh, some in Q1, just given it's a much bigger quarter uh, for global prime time. So, you know, what we're seeing now is, yeah, there will be some reductions in Q1. Do they accelerate? Um, Hard to say at this point, but you know, certainly we feel like it'll look like uh, Q4 in terms of the uh, the kind of reductions that we expect. And now, not we're not sure how that plays out for the full year, so that's kind of the big unknown right now. Is how does how does that either get caught up or pushed uh, into a future year? So right now, we think yes, the early part of 21 uh, programming costs will be down, um, but you know, the Canadian is particularly challenged just because of the delay that happened and. You know, it's hard to get that back up and running and, and on the air. And, of course, we can time that um, a little bit more than, than what the U.S. deliveries look like on Global, just so that we hit the, um, the right time in terms of when we need the, the audiences and when we can monetize them. And just
2: I think I'm just going to replay your question to make sure I heard it right. Uh, your question was about um, the kind of consumption shifting from linear to digital and what we're doing to pursue those audiences. Um, so if so I heard that right, and correct me if I didn't, um, we're, yeah, we're, we're, that's, sorry, go ahead.
6: It was more specifically uh, dug on the connected TV front. I know that that's sort of emerging as an element of digital. That's sort of uh, gaining a lot of traction. And I was just wondering, uh, uh, you know, how you're feeling that more directly on the linear side.
2: Uh, it's it's all part of our desire to put more content in more places. And that's why I mentioned the global TV app, which is you know creating a lot more value for our subscribers. And and connected TVs as part of that roadmap. In addition to you know Android, Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Roku, all of whom are on connected TVs. So we're we're there, um, and that creates more inventory for us. Uh, so that's the key thing I think to note here. You know I think everybody understands on the call. We've talked about it a, a lot over the years. Is that our ambitions to change how you sell television from the demo, you know, the 70 billion impressions a year to you know, audience segments, both common and custom, gives us better targeting to advertisers and more yield. And whatever you believe, and we model in this rigorous model I referred to in my remarks, we model audience declines, uh, you know, over the plan period, but we also model yield improvements and a larger mix to total linear advertising of advanced advertising, and that's the offset. Then you add new platforms like Stack TV, which will be turning on uh, dynamic ad insertion in the fiscal 21, um, and other connected devices uh, uh, with AVOD. And we think there's a huge lane in the AVOD space in Canada uh, for us to, to basically take in the years ahead. There's um, strong demand from the agency groups to put more premium video content online. Uh, I'll remind the group or the call that you know Peacock, that we acquired, is available to go on AVOD. We can put those shows wherever we want, wherever the demand is, and wherever the audiences are. So, you know, that it, all that in sum gets us to, you know, advertising growth, uh, and that's part of the message we're communicating today.
1: Thank
6: you. I'll pass the line. Thank
1: you. Your next question comes from Jeff Van from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
6: Hi,
0: thanks. Good morning. Um, Morning, Jeff. Just to follow, just to follow on that, Doug, um, your last comment about AVOD opportunity, which platform, like, what, where is the monetization platform for that for you? Is it the global app? Is it potentially how Stack um, may be able to monetize AVOD through the shows through Stack? What platform do you see that as the as the way to monetize that? And then the other question is also for you, Doug. Um, It's regarding your content sales. So that certainly was the the surprise in the quarter. Wondering if you can talk a little bit about the visibility and the pipeline for more deals as you look ahead. And then maybe a bigger picture on content is um, certainly seems like you're, you're, you're pushing for more production to own more of the IP going forward in part of your strategic plan. I'm wondering if um, if Canada, um, you know, given the recent success with the Emmys, I'm I'm not sure if this is happening, but I want to get your thoughts on whether you're seeing international interest pick up on Canadian content and um, wondering that if that can fact could become a much bigger opportunity over the next few years.
2: All right, that's a multifaceted question, Jeff, but I'm gonna take all of them. So let's talk about AVOD. You know, the lanes in as I mentioned, the lanes wide open for us in Canada because we have, you know, content uh, with rights that are exploitable on AVOD, um, whereas, uh, you know, some of our competitors either don't have the entertainment uh, content or they're wed to an SVOD strategy. So we're looking long and hard at how to take advantage of the, the very strong demand, as I say, from agency groups to find ways to, um, you know, advertise against, you know, premium video content. And Avod really is very similar to conventional over-the-air network television, right? So, and that's really the Peacock relationship and the strategy therein is, is let's you know, let's let's test and learn in that regard, and that's what the Global TV app will do for us, right, in front of the wall. So that 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 is going to be an area of focus, and we've got a we've got a working group right now that meets every single week on understanding you know where the opportunities are in that regard. Stack as it continues to just rip. Um, we'll be turning on dynamic ad insertion this year, so that's going to help on the on, on the full in-season stacks that we have there. So on the on the um, you know on-demand piece of that value proposition, so that's incremental advertising. So again, you know opportunities abound, and we're going to run them down. Uh, when we talk about uh, the production content piece of the equation, you know it was a good quarter, Jeff. Thanks for for calling that out. Um, You know, we are rebooting now, um, resetting the productions of Nelvana and Cora Studios. Um, You know, Nelvana has been producing, you know, quality animation for almost 50 years now. Our brand is extremely coveted internationally and, you know, uh, the breakout this this COVID experience, and again, that's one of the tailwinds resulting from COVID has been Cora Studios. And I think I may have mentioned uh, on the last call that you know we' been we had been trying, and this is a good example of what happens and it's somewhat apropos to your comment about um, Schitt's Creek. We, we'd been pitching you know our friends uh, Discovery HDTV in the US for some time on the island of Brian, which I'll remind the group was the number one rated show on HDTV uh, in 10 years. Um, during COVID, when their production shut down, they um, looked for content. We sold a Milo O'Brien. They decided to rename it Renovation Island, and lo and behold, number one show on HGTV in the U.S. That triggered a whole bunch of interest in Cora Studios. So we've got basically a bit of a of a bidding war on a whole bunch of our slate that's in the can ready to go. You see, you'll see, you saw some of that hit us in Q4. We'll sell some more of that, you know, in the in the in the fiscal 21 year. Um, and so it just demonstrates the strength of the production team at Core Studios. A couple quick examples, you know, we sold Fire Masters to Discovery. Uh, we sold uh, Save My Reno and Big Rig Royers to FYI in the U.S. Um, Salvage Kings were sold to A&E internationally. I mentioned Donald O'Brien, Scott's uh, Vacation those ruled The big bake, both on Discovery. And so, you know, we're on our way there with, uh, with now two strong studios that are well regarded globally. And that sets the stage for us to ramp up production in the years ahead, and continue to work to secure. I mentioned this in my my remarks, you know, inbound and outbound relationships with our key content partners, and that's critical because you know, Corus you know, is becoming an indispensable partner for the big U.S. studio players, and that's part of our game plan uh, in a three-year model.
1: Sorry, Just also, quick
2: follow-up. Sorry, just a quick other two other comments. I must congratulate Dan Levy and the team at Schitt's Creek. They did a great job. I'll give I'll give a shout out to the CBC in that regard too. Uh, it's great to see well deserved and earned, you know, creative recognition uh, for for Canadian content. That's the first time I think that we ever broke out as a country, and I do think it, it warrants reflection and and uh, accolades. Um, I just want to note also uh, for the group, um, Ken Duncan uh, of Duncan Studios and his team in L.A., most of whom are Canadians, I'll have everybody know, um, Ken spent many, many years at Disney. In fact, he was there when I was there. Uh, He's a lead animator. He he animated Belle for Beauty and the Beast, Jafar and Aladdin. Um, He grew up in the Disney storytelling uh, world, uh, spent some time at DreamWorks, broke out on his own a while ago. Um, we are really excited about a new kind of product line, if you would, a hot house development uh, workshop to bring feature film IT uh, IP ideas to life and broaden the ambition of our Nelvana Studio by working with such a talented group of players who are Canadian. So it's a real another nod to our ambition to grow our own content business.
0: Yeah, Doug, just a quick follow-up. Um, what what percentage of your consolidated revenue? Um or T V revenue. Do you think or do you hope or expect content will represent in your in your you know multi year outlook?
2: Well, let me answer the question this way. And as recent as this morning I was you know, I'm probably people described it as irritating some of my senior leaders on this. I you know, it can't get big enough soon enough, okay? You know, fundamental to our model is to have diversity of revenue and I need to get more revenue outside of Canada. And so, you know, we're pushing hard. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we we have doubled the investment we're making in development, uh, both in Cora Studios and Nelvana. That began about a year ago. We need to have a bigger funnel of IP projects. So, you know, uh, I'll let John field the question of what percentage uh, of the revenue it is. But I can, my answer would be it's not big enough.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, Jeff, I mean, Doug's talked in the past about getting to 10% of our consolidated revenue on uh, content, and yeah, we, he's giving me a, a sum up. So. It, it's, um, you know, it's definitely a big part of the plan to continue to drive that.
0: Great, thanks for the color. No
3: problem, Jeff.
1: Your next question comes from David McBaden from Cormark Securities. Please go ahead, your line is open.
7: Oh, great. Um, so I have t- two questions. Um, I was just wondering if you could tell us the magnitude of the understand on the on the Canadian programming expenditure. I think, because I don't think you met the target that, that, you know, you're supposed to according to, you know, the regulatory framework. Um, and would that have positively impacted EBITDA free cash flow? And then secondly, just on the subscriber revenue, in the fourth quarter, there was obviously, you know, a lot of put and takes here with, um, you know, that retroactive adjustment and then some channels are shut down, but then you have Stack TV coming in and contributing nicely. I was just wondering if you exclude all those items, what was the underlying trend for subscriber revenue in the fourth quarter?
3: Well, I wouldn't exclude stack, David, um, because I think that's that's kind of true run rate um, revenue. But, yeah, between, the, between those adjustments that Adam asked about and then the channel shutdowns, channel shutdowns, you know, are getting smaller as the year progresses. That was only about a million bucks year over year in the quarter. So call it kind of, you know, um, between adjustments and channel shutdowns, that was a minus four year over year. Um, so, you know, knowing that, that means that we were we'd be up from uh, one nineteen to one twenty two, if you want to look at it that way. Um, so, you know, there's decent growth there, and, and Stack is driving all that for sure, hundred um, percent. On the spending shortfall, it's um, you know, it, it's a pretty Significant number, just given that everything shut down for the back half of the year. Uh, we haven't completely quantified that yet, and of course we're waiting for, uh, for <coughs> Ottawa to, to tell us how that's going to be dealt with going forward. So, you know, the, the CAB has asked for that to basically be that we're deemed compliant for 2020, which means that that shortfall would uh, would effectively just be waived, and then we would go forward. Under the existing terms of our license so i think a lot more to come on that there's um there's going to be uh a consultation process on it and it's it's pretty hard to know where that turns out you know just you know in the middle of covid we did get um a positive outcome on a request that we had made uh, a year ago now to have our uh, permitted underspend go to 10 percent from what's normally five percent in any given year so you know that that would certainly have helped in 2020 Uh, But yeah, the the shortfall is more than that. We were already planning for that before COVID hit. So, uh, as you can imagine, that the shortfall um, is is a fairly significant significant number that we have to figure out how we deal with going forward. And um, so that's all in the works right now. I just add that the the, 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 in the in the um, decision on
2: the uh, five percent going to ten percent flexibility uh, that we got from the CRTC. There was a real tell in that decision, um, for they they acknowledged that broadcasters have multi-year planning horizons and that it's uh, it's wholly reasonable to be asking for flexibility. in how that uh, was deployed in the most recent notice of consultation, in September 19th, I think it was. It, there was another tell in there saying that it's you know the broadcasters and, and the CAB did a great work here. Another example, by the way, of Canadian broadcasters working together to to advance our collective interests. The um, the the notice of, notice of uh, process basically said that it it, it, would, it would make sense that um, the shortfall from COVID needs to be addressed over a protracted period of time and, and quote unquote my fingers are in the air here so that means the next license period you know and our and so you know before long will be our new license period begins in you know, September of 22. And, of course, that would be also the start of the Modernized Broadcast Act, which would be, uh, in our opinion, bringing with it, you know, flexibility and reduced obligations. So, you know, I think all of it is going to come out in a wash as these conversations and these legislation um, are are revealed. Uh, But net-net, you know, obviously we want to get back to normal in spending. Uh, No one wants to be in this COVID pandemic. It looks like we're going back into another wave. So, you know, we're just going to – you know, managed as adeptly as we always do, staying in close contact with the CRTC and Heritage and uh, carry on. Okay, maybe I could just uh,
7: follow up on the subscriber revenue. Um, You know, previously I used to think that you could uh, hold the, um, sort of the legacy subscriber revenue, say from traditional television, fairly flat. And that Stack TV would be incremental, so the entire sub revenue would be, would be growing. Is is that a correct yep. way to look at it, or do you think Stack? Hundred percent. That's
2: that's uh, exactly yeah. right. That that's the message okay. we're trying to tell. We're trying to send today. Everybody, consolidated revenue growth year over year over year. So that means advertising. We talked about that. That means content licensing. Talked about that. That means subscriber. So whether not it's Stack or other VM VPDs or is our pursuit of AVOD on the global TV app, or dynamic ad insertion on Stack. You know, that's that's advertising, sorry. But you know, we are very confident, and conviction, with great conviction, that we can have uh, overall subscriber revenue growth when you sum those together. So you think about, you know, modest growth in TV, you know, uh, and this is conservative in my opinion, modest growth in TV, modest growth in subscriber, significant growth in content licensing, and that gets you to a very different, consolidated top line picture over the next three years.
7: Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for that.
8: Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Drew McReynolds from RBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
8: Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, I was late getting on, so my apologies if there's a duplication here, uh, Doug and John. Um, Just first on the radio market, wondering if you can just provide an update on on the dynamics there, and then just a couple of housekeeping items after that.
2: Great. I'm glad you asked, actually that was the one question we weren't getting at. So um and, and nice to talk to you again, Drew. The um listen, uh Dan Kelly at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business was recently saying that, you know, hundred and sixty thousand Canadian businesses have shut down. You know, um that's clearly not good news for local advertising or local communities or local families for that matter. Um so you know, we're seeing as is the whole radio industry, we're just taking it in the chin right now. Our national business, you know, actually because you know Q107 is the number one uh, radio station in Toronto and uh, Rock 101 is the number one radio station in Vancouver, we are going to be able to uh, avail ourselves of the national radio campaigns. And so that those national radio campaigns are part and parcel of campaigns that would include, as I mentioned in in my earlier comments, in the media model mix. We include television. So when you know when big advertisers are coming back uh, with campaigns, they're going to buy radio, and they're going to buy radio based on the top rankers, and we're there. So my national business in radio is, is looking very promising. But a lot of lo- a lot of radio is local. You know, example Winnipeg, where you know 70% of the business is local. So uh, I, I do think they're uh is is very much sort of anchored in the pandemic um, and the work that the federal government is doing to try to support small business is essential there. so we have a you know a, a, you know we're going to just stay stay close to it, but I think you can expect radio to be uh, take longer to recover.
3: Uh, TV's on the way back already, but radio's a different story. And the other thing I'd say drew is, you know there's often we hear other data points in the market about what's what's going on with radio and you know we get radio industry. Revenue numbers every month. Uh, And certainly, compared to English Canada, we're pretty much bang on what the entire industry is doing. So, uh, just wanted to put that out there because sometimes we get questions about, you know, well, you know, shouldn't you guys be doing better? But we're actually pretty much right there with the rest of the industry in terms of what's going on. And and as Doug says, it's being driven by local. Actually, we're actually beating
2: quite substantially based on the September trends. Looking at the numbers now. We're we're basically beating significantly against the market in terms of uh, national. Um, Local, we're kind of with the
8: overall market. Okay. Fantastic. Um, On on, uh, two housekeeping, one is uh, John uh, just comments on CapEx profile, fiscal 21, uh, and just in general, and and also on the government subsidies, did, did you, could you quantify that into Q1? I'm assuming it's less sequentially, um, but then does it kind of all dry up, or subject to whatever the government does from here?
3: No, sure, it's a good point, and and uh, I'll just do that one first, Drew. So you saw that Q4 looked a lot like Q3; that was more coincidence than anything else. Um, going forward into Q1, between our revenue improvements and uh, the program, the way it's been changed uh, on kind of a sliding scale and the, and the factors are declining over time um, that drive the, the subsidy calculation, I, I'd say you can think of Q1 as kind of mid-single-digit millions of dollars of subsidies, so quite a bit less than what we've had. And then beyond Q1, we, we know that the program has been extended, but we don't know anything about how it works that hasn't come out yet. So we're kind of in this position back in the summer where we knew the program had extended until the end of December, but again, we didn't know how it was going to work. So we're not going to assume anything because the the first revision to the program was quite material. Uh, So we'll just have to wait and see what that looks like beyond uh, our Q1. Um, In terms of the CapEx profile, for sure, I mean, you can see in the numbers, we slammed the CapEx down pretty hard. Part of that, in 2020, and the back half was just our ability to do things, and part of it was just to, to conserve cash. So, I don't know that 2021 gets back to a sort of normal level of, call it 30 to $35 million, but you know, we do have some pretty significant um, programs that we need to get back on for 2021. So, we'll, we'll manage that according to how the business is going, um, but it should be higher than, than it was this year, than 2020 for sure
8: okay okay super and maybe a last one uh either
3: for you
8: doug or or john um on i I think since the tone uh certainly uh with conviction on the on the top line when we look at kind of course on on an EBITDA basis um i know you don't provide guidance so obviously a tricky thing to, to answer but uh you know, does does the margin profile with how your revenue mix is changing with all the initiatives you're putting through, how how does the margin profile generally evolve here? Um, Is there anything you can say to that?
2: Um, A couple things. Uh, Let me me say this. Our three-year model has got not just revenue growing year over year over year. Okay? We're in the business to grow, but uh, we're in the business to grow cash flow, and that's part of the plan. Um, in specific, I can tell you, content licensing—you uh, know—the core studios business is a very high-margin business. Um, you know, we we kind of finance the majority of the content here at home, and it travels with a big fat margin attached to it. Uh, Nelvana, similarly, but not maybe as high margin, but you know, equal to you know the overall margin of the of the business. Stack TV, as I think you're aware, is very margin accretive. Um, And, uh, you know, we're doing a bunch of modeling right now to try to figure out how big it is. Uh, You know, one thing I can tell you with some degree of certainty is it's not cannibalizing the legacy channel bundle. Uh, You know, we're finding younger audiences who are at home, you know, during the COVID crisis, and they're procuring their their groceries and their goods on Prime, and we're, you know, we're getting them. And we're just gearing up for a real marketing investment push, uh, which will coincide with – Black Friday and and Cyber Monday on Amazon uh, to really put the pedal down and we're going to see in my opinion a fairly meaningful leg up in terms of that growth trajectory which already legged up once the pandemic hit that is a much more improved margin uh, on the whole than we would get from our legacy bundle so you know you put that all together uh, and you know we're really trying to signal to all of you that the, the stories about growth here at chorus we've got many of our leaders of the company on the call we call them the CEO forum that strategic priorities that I just took you through, those, that team of talented people are taking that to their teams. Every single person, in chorus knows how they can impact the plan and the future of our company, and this is a growth story.
8: Got it. Uh, John, thank you very much. Thanks, Drew.
1: Once again, to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one. Our next question comes from Jerome Dupre from Desjardins Please go ahead, your line is open.
9: Yes, thanks for uh, for squeezing me in. Congratulations on the results.
2: Um, I was I, wondering, with uh, the
9: Jerome, nice, uh, welcome, welcome to the to the team. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was wondering, with the uh, strong audiences that uh, you generated from the shows, um, you re- recently acquired at a low price. Did that change your strategy with regard to uh, programming, or were the savings mostly due to the unique context that we're in? I know you. You talked about the early part of 21 uh, having uh, lower programming costs, but what about the longer term?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, no. I mean, the the model uh, typically is a fall scheduled launch, right? That's what the the networks in the U.S. do. You know, we have you know relationships with some of the big networks that provide our content. Uh, and so that that is that, God willing, will return to some degree of normalcy. The next normal, whatever we're going to call it, uh, you know, hopefully this time next year. Um, so I suspect uh, that there will be a return to that uh, traditional approach. Although you know, the jury's out as to exactly what that looks like in this in this particular example, you know one of the things that we're very good at is that we never we ne- we always try to make sure that we maximize the number of hours we have in simulcast on global and that we don't burn shows so like we don't we don't we don't buy you know have two shows that collide with each other on a simulcast schedule that's just a waste of money um and so when certain shows were moved into mid for example, on global, it created a simulcast window that other shows in the U.S. that were available but not sold in Canada, we just picked them up real quick. And again, a shout-out to the programming team that were on the balls of their feet to acquire those shows, and the, you know, the, the, the studios that sold them didn't expect to sell them at all. So we were able to pick them up for a reasonable value, and it did a good job supplementing the holes in our schedule given the COVID crisis. I don't expect that to be the case next year, at least I'm hoping it's not the case, because I want us all to get back to the, the post-COVID world, but, you know, to the extent to which programming is still delayed on our Simulcast schedule in the quarters ahead, we'll continue to look for similar opportunities to acquire and infill those scheduled holes.
9: Okay, great, that's uh, that's good color, and uh, maybe another question. Um, Maybe uh, I'm a bit late to the party for uh, for this one, but uh, at the beginning of the quarter, we we're hearing uh, a lot about advertisers moving away from social media platforms. Um, any discussions you've had, maybe with uh, with agencies, that would suggest uh, there was a potential impact on your advertising revenue in the quarter and going forward?
2: That's a great question, too. Um, the uh, I may have to go to my soapbox here a little bit, but the, you know the the What's happening in general, and this is the, this, this what happened in fiscal 19, it, it got sidelined in fiscal 20 for us, and that was dollars are coming out of digital back onto television, um, and it's coming out of social, it's coming out of Google. Um, why? Well, number one, they're expensive on a CPM basis. Number two, they mark their own homework in terms of the audience delivery stats. You know, there's no, there's no common currency like we have in traditional broadcast. Number three agencies want to change the allocations. Um, you know, the agencies understand that the optimal media mix model re- requires more television. Um, number four, the content. You know, social media, you know, is uh, an issue. You know, As you, as you know, in, in Quebec, there are, there are social media out there that's telling people to go burn 5G towers because that's what spreads COVID. That is ludicrous. So advertisers don't want to be anywhere near um, these platforms where they can't control the safety of their brands. Um, and so I think that is a, you know, that's all gathering. It's a gathering storm, in my opinion, in terms of dollars uh, that want to find a safe place for their brands. Um, and that's Chorus.
9: Okay, great. Thanks and congratulations on the results, again.
2: Great, thank you. And uh, looking forward to seeing you. Probably by a Zoom call one of these days. But thanks, Jerome. Yeah,
9: sure.
1: We have no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Doug Murphy for closing remarks.
2: Thank you, Julian. Um, thank you, everybody, for your time on the call today. Uh, we were very purposeful in our remarks to to narrate our growth story. Uh, I think we've hit the mark. I want to thank all of the Chorus uh, team on the call and across the company and across the country. I wish everybody uh, safe, tea, in this crazy time, and as ever, we're available to talk whenever you'd like. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.
10: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
0: Every day we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol.